I find it interesting how the Lord coordinates things behind the scenes and works uh, in uh, some pretty marvelous ways. Uh, there's a, a person here tonight who asked me a question after service a couple of weeks ago, and I don't know that I fully answered that person's question, uh, and then I went and looked at the uh, notes that I made uh, on my trip away last uh, fall uh, at uh, what I was going to be preaching and when, and this sermon was planned to be preached tonight. And so I believe that this sermon, at least I'm hopeful that this sermon will help answer the question that was asked. And I believe this is something that many, many people struggle with. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to share, uh, pull back the curtain and share about some personal sin struggles I've had throughout my life uh, tonight. And I think that uh, everyone here will be able to relate uh, in some way with what I'm going to share and say Maybe you haven't struggled with the same sin that I had struggled with, and even at times still do, uh, but um, I believe everyone can find a sin in their life they can relate with. James 1, let's stand tonight for the reading of God's Word. And we're going to read from verse 12 down through verse number 16. And then once we finish reading verse 16, two chapters back, you'll find Hebrews 12. And we're going to read the first verse of Hebrews 12. So James 1, 12 through 16, then we'll flip back to Hebrews 12. The Bible says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Turn back over to Hebrews chapter 12, and look at verse number 1. The Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and then look at this part, and the sin which doth so easily beset us. The sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. I want to preach a sermon tonight entitled this, Those Sins That Encircle You. Those Sins That Encircle You. Let's pray. Lord, I'm going to say some things tonight that I believe um, will be surgical in nature. Some things that you have worked on in, uh, in my life behind the scenes over a period of many years. And Lord, you're still doing a work in me. Lord, um, over the last week or so, you and I have been on a journey putting these thoughts together. And Lord, I believe this sermon is completely and fully, 100% endorsed by you. Lord, would you take anything out of my heart and mind that I ought not say and remove it. And then, Lord, if there's something missing, would you please add it. I want these lips to belong to you. Lord, I want you to speak the words that you want spoken tonight. Because, Lord, we want to help these people to be able to defeat habit sins in their life. And, Lord, live a victorious Christian life. So, help us, Lord, as we look at this. I pray everyone will listen intently. And great good would be brought out of the time in your word this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. 
Hebrews 12.1 again says, Let us, and the sin which doth so easily beset us. The sin which doth so easily beset us. Now, the idea here of a sin that besets us is a sin that trips us up. A sin that trips us up. A sin that seems to encircle us and keep us from being able to succeed. Throughout my life, I have found myself encircled by many different sins. In that moment, the the Christian side of me intellectually wanted to do what was right. And spiritually, uh, I, I wanted to succeed. I knew the right thing to do, but in that moment, can I just be honest, I felt intimidated by those sins or that sin that had me encircled. I really have felt at times in my life trapped. Trapped. I know that I had a choice not to sin. The Bible tells us, we'll look at the verse a little bit later, but the Bible tells us that I had a way out, but it didn't really feel like I had a way out. I felt trapped. I felt intimidated. I felt as though the temptation was far greater than I was able to bear. And oftentimes in my life, I have given in and fallen to sinful temptation. Whether that be a moment of self-pity or a moment of pride, uh, an angry outburst, a lustful thought or a gaze, the temptation to... Uh, maybe to lie and, and, and try to lie my way out of a bad situation. Um, I have found myself encircled and trapped. Almost like I was in a back alley late at night and a gang came out of nowhere and, and encircled me. And I had no way out. I had no choice. It is almost as though I was being bullied by Satan himself. I felt as though there have been times in my life I have felt as though I was surrounded by minions, Satan and his minions, and I was almost forced into doing wrong. Anybody else here ever feel that way? Raise your hand if you've never experienced that in your life. All right. I'm also surprised at how quick I can go from being... Tempted at all, or rather from not being tempted at all, to just having fallen flat on my face in a sin. How quick it can happen. One moment I'm calm with no intent of being upset, and the next moment I am in a rage, a screaming, yelling, angry rage. I mean, a moment prior I was completely calm, cool-headed, collected, no problems, happy, joyous, And then a moment later, here comes the other side. One moment I'm living my life in an honest manner with no intent of ever telling a lie for the rest of my life. And the next moment I find a lie slipping right through my lips. Right there. It's funny how fast it can happen. And I say funny, I don't mean ha-ha funny, I mean interesting funny. How quick that that, that can happen. Maybe the worst part, though, of being encircled by sin is just how discouraging this can be. 
I would fight against this one sin I'll share with you a little bit later. I would fight against it and fight against it and fight against it. And find myself losing over and over and over and over again. And then I'd find myself just flat out discouraged. Throwing up my hands and saying, I'm never ever going to beat this. I have prayed and confessed to a place where God probably doesn't even believe me anymore that I'm actually going to try to quit this. Then I'd find myself feeling like, God, you don't want to hear this anymore. So I'd quit confessing it. And then I would grow to a place of just accepting it as though it was okay. And what I have learned in my life and from being a Christian and then a counselor as a pastor is that there is usually not a large gap between where we live and what we believe. If you live in sin long enough, you will find a way to rationalize it and accept it. You just will. And intellectually, you may say, no, that's a sin. But by habit and by practice, you really don't believe by your practices that it's a sin or you'd stop or you'd at least continue to fight the battle. But we throw our hands in the air and say, I can't, and then we just accept it. Then I believe this is what happens next. Once we have fought against a sin and lost and tried to quit and felt trapped and bullied by the devil and his minions... We accept it, and then we try to hide it. It gets pushed into the shadows of our life. We don't want anybody to know that we struggle with that. So we put our best foot forward, and we put our best front forward, and we act like it it isn't there when we're out in the limelight, we're out in public, we're out at church, we're at work, wherever we are. And we know that that is not accepted by other people, so we do our best to try to hide it. And, and then what happens is either only God knows about it or those closest to us know about it. But we really try to work to make sure that uh, we minimize the damage in those who know. Some of you sitting there tonight and you think, Pastor, all right, you've got my number. I'm right there with you. If that's how you have felt at times in your life, if that's how you still feel at times with things in your life, Boy, I can relate. So, how do I break out of the circle? I'm encircled. You got me. I've got a sin that has encircled me. It has entrenched me. And I can't claw my way out. I can't push my way through. I've tried and tried and tried. And it just seems like that those circles are so thick and intense, I will never, ever break away from it. Pastor, how do I stop this sin? I propose that in order to defeat habit sins or pattern sins, we must be willing to radically change the way that we live our lives. We must make ourselves accountable to other Christians, and we must allow God to work a victory through a robust and strong life of prayer. We're going to look at five thoughts this evening as we discuss those sins that encircle us. And the goal is to rush through the first couple and kind of do the express train on the first couple and then slow that train down and spend time on the last couple of points. Let's jump in tonight. Notice number one, sin's creation. Sin's creation. Hold your place there in Hebrews and James and turn over back over with me to Genesis 3. 
And those of you that have been going to church a long time, you know the passage, but turn there anyway, please. Look at it with me. Sin's creation. Where did sin begin for humanity? Well, it began in, for humanity way back in the Garden of Eden. Um, Adam and Eve were not born with any desire to sin. How unnatural is it for a lost man to choose righteousness? It's pretty unnatural, right? He's bent towards sin. He's bent toward doing wrong. He has no desire to do what's right. And to turn from sin and turn to Christ and choose Christ is very unnatural. It takes a lot of persuading and convincing to see, hey, my sin way, I'm bent towards sin. I desire to sin. It was just as unnatural for Adam and Eve to turn from righteousness to sin. They were bent toward doing right and had to make a hard choice against their nature to do wrong. And we see how that happened. Look at Genesis 3, verse number 1. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat it, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now, I've dissected this passage many, many times in my uh, two and a half years of being the pastor, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. I would encourage you to go back to last fall where I preached a sermon on a Sunday morning about sin, and I really dove into this passage and look at it. But I'll just say here quickly that sin began in humanity here when they chose to go against God and eat this fruit, the one fruit that they uh, had been provided uh, and told, do not eat that. If you eat it, you are choosing against God. What is sin? Well, it's a choice against God. Number two, notice sin's characteristics. Sin's characteristics. Now, we're going to look um, uh, quickly uh, at the subpoints here. And I'm going to describe to you the best I can from Scripture exactly what sin looks like and how sin behaves, uh, some uh, uh, characteristics of sin. Letter A, notice, sin is disorder. Sin is disorder. Turn with me over to, uh, and I'm going to read a bunch of verses here, so I'll have you turn to some of them and other ones I won't. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33. 1 Corinthians 14, verse number 33. The Bible says there, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. So if God is not the author of confusion, then that would mean that Satan is. By the way, good to see you, Autumn. Glad to, I just noticed you're sitting there. Glad to have you in services tonight in for Michigan. God is not the author of confusion. If you get into a confusion... 
If there is a misunderstanding between you and someone else, if things are not orderly, uh, if things are not uh, the way they ought to be, then you can guarantee, I guarantee you Satan is in the middle of that. Hey, one beautiful thing about heaven when we get there one day is that we will remember every conversation with everybody and uh, there will be no confusion in heaven. It's going to be great. But Satan is the author of confusion. Satan is the author of disorderly Things, all right. Let me read for you Second Thessalonians three six. Listen intently. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, disorderly, and not after the tradition which uh, he uh, received, uh, which he received of us. Paul is saying here, the church of Thessalonica, we taught you order. We taught you to have an orderly service. We taught you to live orderly lives. Uh, and if people amongst you, with you, are living their life in a way that is disorderly, you need to distance yourself from them. You need to not have a strong relationship with them. Why? Because sin is disorder. And so um, uh, let that sink into your head as we move on here. Notice letter B. Sin is rebellion. Sin is rebellion. Proverbs chapter 17 verse 11 says this, An evil man seeketh only rebellion. Uh, therefore, a cruel messenger shall be sent against him. What is rebellion? It's knowing uh, who the authority is, and it's knowing what the authority wants done, and it's choosing to go against that intentionally. Going against that intentionally. Yes, I know that my parents want me home by this time, but I'm going to stay out 20 minutes later just to get on their nerves. Yes, I know that uh, I'm supposed to be at work uh, in time to be in my place when I'm supposed to start, but I'm going to make sure I'm running just a little bit late just to get at my supervisor. And you learn where that line is with an authority figure, and you walk right up to the line, and you try not to cross it, but sometimes you do it on purpose just to get out of That is rebellion. That is rebellion. In a more practical sense for the Christian, uh, rebellion is knowing how God wants you to live, where God wants you to be, what God wants you to do, and just choosing on purpose to go against that. Not falling by temptation or being encircled, but just by making a bold choice and saying, yeah, I know that's not what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to do it anyway. Sin is rebellion. Letter C, sin is darkness. Sin is darkness. Uh, turn over to, uh, let's see here. I think I've got the wrong verse in my notes. I believe the verse I'm supposed to be at is John 3... 19, is that it? Okay, that's not the one I have my notes. Go ahead and turn over there. And I'm going to paraphrase the verse. You can read it in your Bible. Shame on me for not having it memorized. My wife tells me I'm a walking Bible, but I'm not a walking Bible. I don't have the whole thing memorized. John 3:19. the idea there is that men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. Was that King James? Did I get close? Okay, I'm, I'm close. My wife told me one time, I, uh, I, I, I quoted a verse from memory when I had the church turn there. And she said, we got home, she said, what version of the Bible were you reading out of? That wasn't King James. And I said, that was my memory. So I, I blew that. Uh, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. You know what? Men love darkness. When, when is most crime committed? 
at night in the dark, under cover of the dark. When are most homes broken into? Uh, when no one's around and can't be seen. The same idea as darkness. Uh, men love darkness rather than light. I walked into a church auditorium once on a Sunday afternoon. It was an overcast sky day, and it was rather dark in the auditorium. Yes, there were windows like here, but it was just dark outside, so it was dark inside. And they had turned all the lights off, and there's a group of ladies were in there talking. And I walked in, and I said, hey, ladies, I thought the Bible said men love darkness rather than light. But if you women want to love darkness, go go right ahead. Uh, but uh, sin is darkness. It's darkness. And uh, uh, we, 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 we look for the shadows. That's where sin occurs. It occurs in the shadows. Uh, tonight, we're going to get into the practical advice in a few minutes, but if you want to overcome sin in your life, get out of the shadows. Wherever you can do wrong and no one knows about it, whether that be on a phone or a TV screen or uh, a back alley or uh, uh, you ride your car someplace where no one you think no one sees you, uh, 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 eliminate the shadows and that will help you because that is where sin is done. Letter D, sin is lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Proverbs fourteen twelve says this. It says, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There was a lady going down a major highway and this highway was having... Construction, and you know how that goes. We know all about construction around here, don't we, and traffic. Well, the, the traffic was being brought from three lanes to two lanes to one lane, and there was this big bottleneck, and then it was one lane for a long ways, and so she'd gotten from the three lanes to the two lanes, and she could see about half a mile up ahead, it was going to be one lane, but on the other side of the construction cones, the highway had been completed for as far as the eye could see, and so she looked at that and said, look, I got places to be, I'm running late, I don't have time to sit in this traffic, so she did what you shouldn't do, and she veered around the cones and she began to speed up and go down there. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man. To her, she said, I'm going to do what's right to me. I got places to be. That road is finished. Those cones shouldn't be there. And down the highway she went 20 miles an hour, 30 miles an hour. 40 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour, and up ahead there was a, a large hill where she went up and some construction workers were ahead and they left over where they were and they, they, they shot across the island over there. They began to wave their hands and say, no, you need to come to a stop. Little did that lady know, but right over the top of that hill was a bridge that had not been completed. And over the hill she went, over the bridge she went where her car would smash into a, a concrete wall and she would die on the spot. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. What is sin? It's lawlessness. Sin is saying, I don't care what the law is. I have no regard for the laws. Uh, if they're not convenient for me, then I won't follow them. And sin is lawlessness. If you want to see lawlessness in action, if you want a book that describes what I'm talking about right now, read the book of Judges. Every man did that which is right in their own eyes. And oh boy, you get some weird, crazy things that happen as a result of everybody living by their own code of morality and ignoring the Bible and its code of morality. Sin's creation, sin's characteristics, we're setting the table here. Number three, sin's curse. Sin's curse. 
you choose a life of sin or you choose to allow a sin to encircle you and you refuse to fight against that. You refuse to try and beat that. And my friend, what you're in for is a sin that's going to beat down on you. Letter A, notice rejection. Rejection. If you could, go back over to Genesis 4, verse 14. We're going to look at that in a minute. While you're turning there, let me uh, read for you 1 Samuel 15, 23. Now, before I read the verse, uh, just a quick uh, provision of context here. Saul was selected to be Israel's first king, not God's perfect will. However, it was God's permissive will. He wanted to be their king, and he wanted a theocratic government, and they had rejected that. And so Samuel went and he uh, ordained Saul to be king. And here you have Saul uh, becoming king, and he began to become lifted up in his own eyes. And then he was told, go in and, and destroy the Amalekites, wipe them all out. And what did he do? He went in and he destroyed almost all of them, but he was... Uh, he did not want to abide under the law of Christ. He wanted to sin and hide it in the darkness and the shadows. He, uh, he sought to rebel against God. And he did things in a disorderly way. And what God did was God rejected Saul because Saul had chosen intentionally to sin against God. First Samuel 15.23 says this. It says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Uh, Saul, uh, Samuel the prophet is trying to make a big deal of this to Saul and say, Hey to you, you just see this as a little rebellion. It's no big deal. He said in the eyes of God, he has rebellion and witchcraft on the same level. You are worshiping demons with your rebellion and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. Uh, he hath also rejected thee from being king. When we choose sin, and we choose to live inside of a circled sin, and we don't uh, fight against that, and work to beat it, and we lay down and let that sin beat on us, and we accept it in our lives as part of who we are, what we're doing is we're telling the law of God by our action is, I reject that part of God's law because it isn't convenient for me. And God says, if you're going to reject my law, then I'm going to reject you. Be careful. Be careful. You don't want God to reject you. Now, for the rest of Saul's life, he would live with a troubled spirit. And he would die a lonely, sad, hurt man because he rejected, he pushed away from the law of God. And God said that I'm going to push away from you. What does sin bring when we choose to live under it? Well, it brings rejection, letter B. It brings isolation. Isolation. Look with me at Genesis 4, verse 14. And the context here is Cain, he killed his brother Abel. God confronted him on it and he gave God a nasty attitude. And so God is going to punish him because of his, one is, is, is sin, but, but also the attitude about being punished. Genesis 4.14, we find Cain's response about God's punishment. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth and shall, uh, from thy face, uh, and from thy face shall I be hid and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. And God would put a mark on Cain so that those that saw him knew not to kill him or they would face God's wrath. But what uh, what Cain was getting at here is, because I have done wrong, your punishment on me is complete isolation. It's isolation. There is nothing worse than feeling like God wants to have nothing to do with you because of the way you've lived. 
There's nothing worse than that sick feeling in the pit of your stomach that I have rejected God for such a long period of time. God really is put out with me, and He doesn't really want to have a whole lot to do with me. Now, the truth is, if we turn back to Christ, uh, God, and we confess our sin, He's faithful, He's just, He forgives, He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But while we're living in that iniquity, while we're living in that sin, you know where we find ourselves? We find ourselves isolated from the presence of God. You ever been there? You ever felt that way? You're doing wrong. You know you're doing wrong. And maybe you say, well, I don't want to give up this sin because I'm enjoying this sin. Or I don't know how to give up this sin. And so you just lay down and accept the sin and it becomes part of your life. And you turn around and you just feel like you're out on an island somewhere all by yourself. And you feel like uh, that when you do need to pray, you turn and pray and your prayers just bounce off the ceiling. You need help in an area and you cry out to the Lord. And it's almost like God has just turned the volume off. And He's not listening to you. That's what happens when we choose sin and we're cursed under that sin. You say, Pastor, can you provide proof of that? Well, the psalmist said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Uh, and this idea that I can just drop to my knees whenever I want and pray uh, 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 however I want and God's going to hear me. Listen, you're free to pray whenever you want, but you know you're living in that sin and you want to call out to God with no intent of turning and leaving that sin behind. God will not hear your prayer. You're isolated. Letter C, notice destruction. Go back to James 1 where we began tonight. James 1 And look with me at verse 15, and the word chosen here uh, by the translators is the word death, but uh, uh, really, uh, the the and, and they got it right. I'm not implying that the translators didn't get it right. They're way smarter than I am. I'm never, ever going to challenge them. But I will say this, that that word death uh, uh, encompasses, describes an idea of destruction. Look here at James 1.15, Then when lust hath conceived, uh, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, Bringeth forth death. That word death means annihilation. It means separation. It means destruction. It means destruction. Sin's end game is destruction. Now, it is a deceptive thing. Because those who do sin will at at least a moment get a a rush. They will get a a dopamine hit. They'll get a chemical uh, adrenaline rush on the inside. A boy and girl, teenage boy and girl, who sneak away and and they're 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 fooling around with each other behind their parents' back, and they they th- they get away with it once or twice, and boy, there's an adrenaline rush that comes from that. Uh, somebody shoots up uh, uh, or, or or sniffs a line of drugs or shoots up or smokes uh, uh, smokes drugs. Boy, there is a there is a chemical release in the body that uh, that is brought about from the outside by those things. There's pleasure. Someone who wants to lie their way out of a situation and they think they've won and maybe even short term they have lied and gotten away with it and they walk away feeling an exhilarating uh, sensation because they lied their way out of a situation. Woo! I got away with that one. You'll face God for it one day. Don't worry. But I got away with that one and there is a rush that comes away with that and so we get this false idea kind of like living a life of eating sugar all the time that boy this feels good boy this feels good boy this feels good until you crash and the destruction comes about my friend i promise you that sin is fun for a season but in the end you will really regret having done it sin brings 
destruction. Now, I have said all that to say this. If you are where I have been many times in my Christian life, if you at this moment are discouraged to the place where you have quit fighting the battle against that sin that you just seem to have a propensity to commit, tonight, I hope that after hearing about rejection, isolation, and destruction, you will be encouraged to stand up and fight. Stand up and fight. Hey, listen, you don't want to be rejected by God. You don't want to be isolated away from God. And you sure don't want sin to run its course and destroy your life. And it may not be, it may not happen today or tomorrow, but I guarantee you, if you keep living in sin, you keep letting that habit sin happen in your life, I guarantee you at some point, uh, 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 destruction, isolation, and rejection are on their way. So stand up and allow the Lord to give you victory. Let's, um, uh, and all that was really ba- uh, 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 groundwork, introduction, foundation to what I want to get to right here. Number four, notice sin's circles. Sin's circles. Now, uh, I'm going to say some things here that are very delicate. I'm going to say some things here that uh, I guarantee there will be people in the auditorium that do not agree with everything I say right now. I would just say to you, show grace. Okay, if you have a differing opinion than me on something, uh, uh, we can we can talk about it in a Christian way and in a loving way afterwards. I have prayed over what I'm going to say. I have counseled a whole lot of people. I've done a lot of homework and studying. I'm not going to say anything off the cuff or something that has not been thoroughly thought through. And so if you hear me say something and your knee-jerk response is to say, I don't think that's right, make sure you take time to pray about it and think it through and then sit down and chat with me. Okay? Uh, I'm going to give you, uh, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to give you an A and a B here. Let's begin with letter A. Big circle sins. Big circle sins. These are accepted sins. These are accepted sins. Now, there are sins that most everyone struggles with on some level. These are sins that the average church-going Bible believer, or just the average Bible believer, they're not going to give you any argument that these things are wrong. Number one, they're stated clearly in the Bible. Okay. Uh, number two... Uh, we all battle against them and lose to them sometimes, and so no one would argue about that. Now, I'm going to put a, a graphic on the screen, and uh, it looks a little bit different than the back of your uh, outline there. I would encourage you, if you have an outline, flip that over and write these in as you go. And they won't look, I, it, the back of your, bull, uh, back of your um, outline there doesn't look exactly how the screen will look, but I think you'll get the idea. Now, I'm going to give you uh, just a few of some sins that I believe fall inside of a large circle, and these are accepted sins that uh, every human being, every human being struggles with sometimes on some level, okay? Here are a few. This is not an all-inclusive list. None of the what I'm going to give you under point four is inclusive, uh, but th- this will give you an idea, all right? The first one I have down is pride. Pride. I believe you can make a case that every sin that is committed can be linked back to pride. Every sin. Every single sin. Why did you, uh, what, what does the uh, first John tell us, right? Uh, pride of life, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. Those are the three categories. But you can make a case that lust of the eyes and lust of the flesh are tied back into pride. Why did you lust? Because you wanted to. 
as you wanted to. You wanted your way, and you wanted something that, uh, that you shouldn't have, whether it was a person, an item, a thought. Uh, your mind was traveling outside the bounds of what was accepted and okay, because pride pushed you to do it. So at the center of the word pride is the letter I. Uh, it works that way in English. I don't know how many of the languages it works, but hey, we'll take it, right? Uh, it is the letter I. I in pride. I is the middle letter of sin, and I is the middle letter of um, uh, is it devil or one of the middle letter, letters of devil there? One of the last letters of devil. But you get the idea. It's in devil. Amen. Right? And so uh, there you have the letter I and pride. Listen, everybody here tonight struggles with pride. Everybody. From the most spiritual amongst us to the least spiritual amongst us. We all on some level battle with what our flesh wants to do up against what God wants us to do. Let me give you another one that's just an accepted big circle sin. How about this one? Lying. Lying. Anybody here want to admit or, or rather claim that they've never told a lie in their life? Anybody here think they've gone a whole year without telling a lie? How about six months without telling a lie? Even a little one. How about a month without telling a lie? We all at some point have said something that isn't true, right? If I got up here tonight and preached a whole sermon against lying, everyone would sit here and go, yep, that's a sin. And yep, I was born with a predisposition to do it. Let me give you another one. Lust. Lust. Lust, another word for lust is covetousness, right? Coveting something that doesn't belong to you or something that you're not supposed to have. Wanting something that is outside of the bounds of what you ought to have. Let me give you a a few more here. Uh, Stealing. Is that the next one goes up there? Stealing. Okay. Um, Hatred. Hatred. You say, I don't hate anybody. Maybe not at the moment. But have you ever hated somebody? I think everybody in here has probably hated someone at some point. We might have some children in the room that have have been protected and kept away from a situation uh, that would breed hatred. I was probably in my teenage years before I could say I'd actually honestly hated somebody. Uh, uh, But uh, all the adults in the room, we've all experienced it, haven't we? Or we felt feelings of hatred crepping up at our heart at some point towards somebody. Uh, Complaining. Complaining. Does anybody here uh, think that complaining isn't a sin? Just read the Old Testament. It, it's hammered pretty hard. You say, well, I'm a critic. I'm not complaining. I'm just pointing out what needs to be fixed. Okay. There's a place for that. Honestly, there's a place for that. But is it really with the intent of it getting fixed or for you looking like a know-it-all? Is it really about it getting fixed or are you just letting steam off your chest? Complaining. Uh, And then I have uh, one more here. Disobedience. Disobedience. All of us struggle on some level with all of these. All of us, please hear me because I'm, I'm setting the table for letter B. All of us are born with a predisposition to do all of these. I can make the argument that uh, I can't help but lie because I was born that way. Does that mean it's okay for me to walk around and lie to everybody? It does not. All right? Now, um, those are big circle sins. 
this might, one of these may be that sin that has you encircled, that besets you, that trips you up along the way. That might be. But I have a feeling that for most of you here tonight, it isn't the big circle sins. Because God gives victory of these uh, in, in a great way. However, there are some little circle sins that I, uh, and that's letter B, little circle sins are argued Sins. Now, some of these here are, are not argued. I'm going to give you uh, several here. But some of these here tonight are not argued amongst independent Baptist churchgoers. But all of these tonight are argued in Christianity on some level. All right? Others of the ones I'm going to list, list tonight, there will be people in, my, in the room here or watching online that vehemently disagree with me. And, and that's okay. All right? Let me lay the groundwork before I get into them, and then I'm going to open up and tell you a little bit about my own journey and battle here. Little circle sins. First, I want to talk about that word predisposition. Some people will say that because I was born with a struggle, and I am, I am genetically built that way, I can't help it. I can't help it. That is not an excuse for you to live in what the Bible labels as sin. In fact, if you're going to make the argument that people who are born with a, with a struggle get a pass, then I get a pass on lying, and I get a pass on stealing, and I get a pass on pride. We all do, right? That isn't a solid, you can't build an argument around that. I was built that way. Now, there are some things that all of us are built to struggle with, and there are other things that only certain people struggle with, but other people don't have a struggle with at all. Predisposition. Um, now, why is it that some people would struggle with a particular sin, but others wouldn't? Very important passage of the sermon tonight. Turn back over to Exodus chapter number 20. Exodus chapter number 20. And I want us to look at the first five verses. Here we have the giving of the Ten Commandments. And God drops a huge, uh, hard truth right in the middle of the giving of the Ten Commandments. And one that has left a whole lot of people scratching their heads for a long time. And one that i got to tell you tonight, I honestly don't have it all figured out. And I don't, I've not really met a whole lot of people to do. In fact, I've read, uh, I've, I've talked to other pastors, friends of mine. I've talked to other uh, Christians, uh, uh, friends of mine. I've read comments. Commentaries about this, and I gotta tell you, there is no general consensus on what this means, and so I'm not gonna give you a hardcore uh, interpretation, but I'm gonna give you loosely what I believe this means. Look at chapter 20, verse 1, and God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, thou shalt not make uh, unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of any kind that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Look at Verse 5, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Look here, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, or of the parents, unto the children, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Wow. What is God saying here? He's saying that if you bow down to false idols or you serve the spirit of false idols, that I'm going to not only punish you, I'm going to punish your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. 
Now, how does God work out a punishment on a great-grandchild from a great-grandparent? Well, I believe that some of us here tonight struggle with certain sins that are small-circle sins. And when I say small-circle, I mean they're smaller in scope because not everybody struggles with them. In fact, some of you here tonight would struggle with a particular sin, and, and, and the majority of you here wouldn't. So, what is that? I believe that God uses our genetic code, and He, and he, he allows the sin curse to be worked out in a family ancestry or tree where one person makes a, a, a conscious choice to either bow down to false idols or serve the spirit of those false idols and the children uh, and the generations to follow deal with a propensity toward a particular sin, a natural bend toward doing wrong in that area. And God is saying, I am punishing the children for the sins of the Father. Now, you can argue whether or not you think God ought to do that, but He is God and He gets to do what He will. Why is it tonight that some of you struggle with a particular sin when you feel as though not a whole lot of other people do? And you don't know how to beat that. Could it be in part? Is it possible in part? Because you had a parent, a grandparent, a great-grandparent who was saved, but chose on purpose to violate God and, and chase after things that were flat-out sinful and serve a demonic-type spirit, and God is sending that punishment. Now, if you're struggling with a small circle sin, it doesn't mean that that's the only way you got there. You could have made your own life choices or had a set of circumstances happen to you that puts you there in a completely different path. But I do believe that one of the ways it happens is that is that parents make choices and their children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren struggle with that. And you say, well, pastor, is there hope? I do believe there is. We're going to look at that. Now, we'll give you um, a couple of more thoughts before I, I start listing off specific sins. Others will offer this excuse. I can't help the way I feel or behave because I was born this way. And that that logic just does not hold up with other actions. We've looked at that. Oftentimes, people that struggle with these small circle type sins, they'll hide in isolation. They believe that no one understands them or that no one can adequately help them. They believe that no one else has ever struggled with the same thing that they're going through. You know what Satan's done? He's used isolation to keep them from getting any help. Here's another lie Satan feeds. If anyone finds out about your sin, everyone's going to hate you. You better not ever, ever, ever tell anybody else. Oh, Satan's used that one on me plenty. In my teen years, early adult years, Satan used that one on me plenty. Ooh, that's a big sin. If people find out your reputation is gone, he'll he'll use this tactic of isolation. Now, before I go on and give the list of small circle sins, I want to say this. As Christians, we're commanded to show grace to each other. Grace. When I give this list of sins, if these... If this steps on your toe, if you feel like the Holy Spirit is putting a finger in your face, let me tell you that um, I've needed grace shown to me plenty of times in my Christian life. And there's plenty of grace to you. No one here is, is trying to make you feel ugly or awful about what you've done, except the Holy Spirit of God. That's His job. But Christian to Christian, 
We're to bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6 tells us, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If you are here tonight and you're buried and struggling in a small circle of sin, listen, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're to pick you up. If you want that help, we're to pick you up and help you out of that. Matthew 7 tells us that before we go picking the beam, uh, the mote out of someone else's eye, we sure better get the beam out of our own. So without further ado, I'm going to provide for you a list of these sins and give you a Bible verse that calls them sin, or at least uh, maybe at the least commands us not to do that, all right? Uh, the first one I have here, you can, put, you can work left to right on the back of your bulletin and top to bottom. Left to right and then top to bottom. The first one is homosexuality. Homosexuality. Romans chapter 1, verse number 26, tells us, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the nature, uh, uh, use, now natural use into that which is against nature, and likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman, burning in their lusts one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. You say, Pastor, do you believe that people are born natural homosexuals? And I'll say this, I believe everyone is born with a, under the sin curse. We're all born with a desire to sin. And some people's choices in that sin curse, they have a more natural and easy path to get to homosexuality than others. I would say tonight that while I don't believe anyone is born with a desire to do the end game of what homosexuality provides, I do believe there are people who are bent with a leaning to get there a whole lot quicker than others. Again, they don't need us to throw stones at them and call them names and criticize them. They need the love of Jesus to be healed. The next one I'll give you is adultery. Is adultery. Hebrews 13.4 says this, Marriage is honorable in all in the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. I have known people. It doesn't matter how good they're, good or bad their husband or wife was. They are... They have a natural bend toward committing adultery. There was a pastor who pastored a large church. This was back in the 70s. Pastored a large church down in Georgia. He was an oratorical preacher. Boy, he could preach. And he had a wife who was a great wife. Loved the Lord. Man, she was bought into his church ministry and, and was everything that a wife ought to be to her husband, seemingly, uh, from the surface. Uh, I didn't live in their home. I wasn't even alive. But from what I've been told, she was just a phenomenal woman. And her husband was such a good speaker, he would get invited out places. And he'd fly by himself all over the country. And while he was out of town, he would be very unfaithful to his wife. With just any woman he could find. And his wife would find out about it, and he would apologize and repent and weep and cry and and it seemed as though he was honest. And uh, But she would sweep it under the rug and cover it up and... And he, he, uh, he would try to make it right, and then uh, a little while later, he'd find himself in the same trap. I do believe that some people fit inside this small circle of, of a natural bend toward being unfaithful to their spouse. And they, they find a predisposition to land there a whole lot easier than others do. Let me give you another one. Here's another one. Effeminacy. Effeminacy. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 says this, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit uh, the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. 
effeminate. You say, Pastor, is it wrong for a man to act like a sissy? And the answer is, yes, it's a sin. It's a sin. That word effeminate there means this. It means acting outside the boundaries of one's gender. Acting outside the boundaries of one's gender. And listen, there are a lot of people today that say, I'm not, I'm not sure I was born in a man's body. I'm not sure if I'm a man or a woman. And gender is not uh, uh, figured out between what goes on between your ears. It's figured out between what goes on somewhere else. Amen? And so you've got to decide that uh, God made you the way He made you. And He makes no mistakes. He makes no mistakes. Now, you might have a predisposition to be curious about whether or not God made a mistake. But I promise you, God made no mistakes. I know um, a couple, uh, a married couple, and uh, boy, uh, the man and a woman, and they love each other, and they love each other dearly. And my wife and I uh, uh, worked around them in our first ministry there. She'll know who I'm talking about. But man, the guy was as effeminate as the day was long. And i got to tell you, it grated on my nerves. It drove me nuts. I was a young Christian Lord, I didn't understand all of this, and I had to get to a place in my Christian life years later where I realized I may not struggle with his small circle sin, but I've got mine. But I've got mine. Again, I'm not trying to throw any judgment on anybody tonight. That's the Holy Spirit's job to judge you and to bring you to account. But this whole argument that I can't help it, I was born this way. Look, I'm born a natural liar, but I've got to learn to clean that up. And I can't just give in to that. I'm born with a propensity and a predisposition to stealing. But I'm not allowed by society to walk in Walmart and walk out with whatever I want. Just because you're born a certain way, whether it's a big circle sin or a little circle sin, the very first step to breaking out of that circle is you must accept that it's wrong. Let me give you another one. Anger. Anger. Ephesians 4 verse 31 says this, Let all bitterness and wrath, and anger, and clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Let all bitterness, and all wrath, and all anger, and all clamor, and all evil speaking be put away from you. All of it. There is no room for a Christian to ever uh, express anger. And when you feel feelings of anger, you are as quickly as possible to dismiss those. I've preached a whole series on that. And again, some of you that haven't heard that series may uh, may question that uh, uh, stance, that belief. I stand wholeheartedly by it. I've been challenged on it. And everyone that's challenged me, that's really done their homework, has come back and said, Pastor, I, I have to say, I, I now agree with your stance on that. And it's not because uh, of who's giving it, but because I believe the Bible wholeheartedly teaches this. There's never a place for a Christian to be angry and express that anger. Let me give you another one here. Again, I'm not trying to judge anybody tonight. I'm just trying to lay out for you a biblical case why some people struggle with certain sins and other people don't and what can be done about it. Let me give you another one. That that is long-term depression. Long-term depression. Turn over to Philippians chapter 4 with me, if you will. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 6. Philippians 4, verse 6. The Bible says, Be careful or anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall maintain, protect, put a wall around, preserve, guard, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Look at verse 8. 
Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, pure, lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on, dwell on, meditate on these things. Uh, if it is okay for a person to be depressed and live in a state of depression, then why did God give us a direct command and tell us not to live in, in, with a spirit of anxiety? Let me give you one more, and then I'm going to um, open up and share something with you here tonight. Nothing that is a bombshell, all right? Nothing that has disqualified me from the ministry, but uh, one of these small circles I have had to deal with, and I have lived inside of, and I have felt trapped, and I have felt bullied and pushed around, and I have made excuses for, and I've, I've, I've had to uh, work with this. The last one here I'm going to give you is abusers. Abusers. And I'm using this because we're dealing with an audience with small children, and I don't want to get too specific. And the word abuse, someone who is abusive, that can go all kinds of different directions. We already quoted or read 1 Corinthians 6, 9 that says, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind. But people who have an abusive nature. I believe some people just struggle with being abusive. Emotionally abusive, physically abusive, uh, in every sense of the word abusive. And uh, listen, another one that is an honorable mention, maybe should have made the list, but I didn't have enough room on the screen to get it on there. Maybe I could have stuck it in there between anger or below adultery and anger. But another one I think could be those who have a propensity toward drugs. There are people, man, they're popping lives off, off, uh, off bottles when they're like three years old and trying to run them down their throat. Right? They're, they're turning to alcohol at a very early age, and that's just what they do. They have a bend hard that direction. They have a predisposition to go that way. Uh, um, so, uh, what is to be done? The circle up there that I've, I have struggled with the most is that one anger. I can say that I was born with a predisposition and a lean toward an angry spirit. From a very young age, I would lose my temper and it would get ugly quick. As a boy, I got more spankings out of being angry than anything else. I had a massive temper problem as a young teen and teenager. I have slammed more basketballs into backboards and walls. I have broken tennis rackets and ping pong paddles. I've broken ping pong tables with ping pong paddles because the game didn't go my way. I have been ashamed and embarrassed. I have felt afraid and alone and as though there was no way out. When I was 16, my family moved to uh, uh, the north side of Baltimore and my dad began to work to start a Christian school. And uh, they took uh, the basement, finished off basement of that church and began to prepare for a Christian school. So I'd show up with my dad most days that summer as we had a ton of work to do to get ready for the school year starting just a couple of months later. And, and I would help him and, 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 and go places and pick up desks and bring them in the building and uh, go get books and curriculum from Christian schools that were closing down and bring those in. And, and uh, the, I mean, every day it was eight, nine, ten hours. Every day as a six-year-old boy going in and helping my dad, but inevitably there'd be downtime, and in that downtime there was a ping pong table, and we'd get in there and we'd play ping pong, my brothers, my dad, the pastor was the best ping pong player in the building, really good at it, still better than me, way better than me, but we'd play and have a good time, and uh, usually it was a good time until my temper would start to flare up, and I would ruin everybody's fun. 
And that ping pong table had to get patched together two or three times because of my temper problem. And I remember one day when I had just totally lost it, I broke the ping pong paddle and I went and I sat down on the stairs and I just began to weep. Remember, I picked myself up after about 20 minutes of weeping and I walked upstairs and then walked into the pastor's office. And I said to the pastor, I said, I can't beat this. I said, I know I'm in sin. And I know I'm wrong. And I know i I got to change. And I want to change. And I've confessed it to the Lord. And I've begged Him to give me victory. But I feel like I can't get out. What do I do? And I feel bad for that pastor because I caught him off guard and he didn't have an answer for me. And I got him walked out of his office and I was just in dismay. And this temper problem continued through college. I lose my temper at work on the truck dock and I'd do something dumb. Never did anything to lose my job, but I would do things that were very unprofessional and I got wrote up for it once or twice at work. You say, well, pastor, what happened? Do you still have a temper problem? Do you still struggle with anger? And I would say on some level, I do. I do. I'm thankful to say that I have never blown up or lost my cool on a church member or on a staff person. But my family sure has seen it. Early on in our marriage, Matthew must have been five or six months old. I'd had a rough day at work. I came home. Angela said something to me that I didn't like that crossed me. And I was a seething pot ready ready to just boil over. And her attitude or perceived attitude turned that stove up one more degree, which was all I needed. And I lost my mind. I put holes in the walls. I yelled and hollered and screamed. I've never hit her. I've never laid a hand on my wife, but I, boy, I sure was acting the fool. And I looked down, and my little son, six months old, looking up at the dad he loved and adored, was crying because he was scared of me. And I went out for a long walk and began to weep, and I said, Lord, you've got to give me the victory over this. I cannot continue on like this. I'm an assistant pastor at this church. I oversee a children's ministry of 70 or 80 kids. I've got a Spanish church that's beginning to go and grow. I've got a wife who loves me and is still a young Christian herself and wants to support me all the way into the pastorate and beyond. I've got a child who looks up to me and he's going to learn this temper if I don't break away from it. Lord, I've got to find a way to break out of this circle and never come back. Now, I've got to tell you that I haven't totally left that circle, and sometimes it still gets around me, and sometimes it still gets the best of me, but by and large, God has given me victory in this area. And I'm here to tell you tonight, it has been a long journey for me. And you may not be in the angry circle. You may be in one of these other circles tonight. You may be in a small circle that's up there, uh, uh, that, that isn't even up there, but you know what it is, and the Holy Spirit has identified it in your heart. And the question tonight is, how are you going to change that? How are you going to approach it? Can I tell you step one for me in getting cured? And by the way, the last point in the sermon is sin's cure. Sin's cure. The first step for me was that I had to make, letter A, some serious lifestyle changes. Make lifestyle changes. I had to evaluate my social media habits, and I had to get off of a lot of social media. 
I had to evaluate my movie habits. And I had to quit watching a whole lot of movies. I had to evaluate uh, some of the books I was reading and the things I was participating in. And I had to go back in my heart and see uh, uh, some of this generational sin that was being passed down to me. And I had to eyeball it up. And I had to see that I had a weakness toward it. And remember what I preached a couple of weeks ago is that victory in the Christian life is not about self-improvement. It's about self-abandonment. And I had to get to the place where I had to say, I am too weak to beat this on my own. I must put these things away that are weights in my life causing me to trip up in sin. I must get rid of them. And as I began to tuck those away, that those problems, that, 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 that desire toward anger began to go away little by little by little. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, There is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted. Above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. I would hear that verse quoted. I memorized that verse as a teenager. I would quote it to myself. And I would say, God, where is the door? Because I can't find it. And in my early 20s, God showed me the door begins when you stop doing the things that are aggravating the, the desire to be angry in your heart. Don't tell me tonight that you want the exit if you're not willing to take extreme measures in your life. If you're not willing to give up your smartphone and go back to a dumb phone or take the TV and chuck it the dumpster if that's necessary, if you're not willing to uh, 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 change your Bible reading habits and your Bible reading schedule and your memorization patterns and your church attendance, if you're not willing to make radical changes in your life, don't tell me that God's not providing an exit for you. Because until you do your part, there is not going to be a visible exit out of that encircled sin. I hasten letter B, be accountable. Be accountable. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. Uh, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. You know what Satan wants you to believe? Here's the biggest lie Satan convinced me of when I struggled with this sin. Is, is that if I tried real hard, on my own, I could beat the sin. And you know what I found? is man, I would say, I'm going to do it this time. And I'd get up there, I'd go six months, eight months, a year, and I'd be like, man, I'm doing great. And all of a sudden, there'd be that hard crash. And I'd say, what happened? I had a false sense of security. You know what I needed? I needed to humble my heart. And I needed to go to my wife and say, I need to be accountable to you. I needed to go to a pastor friend who now lives in another state, and I had to say to him, I have a struggle in this area, and I need to be accountable to you. I need you to call me and ask me how I've done with this. And I need to tell you where I fell short. Oh, yes, I needed to confess it in the Lord in prayer. But I needed a human Christian to get right down to my grill and look me in the eyeball and say, how are you doing this week? And knowing that was coming up. And I had to be accountable. Letter C. And lastly, pray for victory. Turn over with me to Hebrews chapter number 2, verse 18. We'll finish here. Pray for victory. Now, I'm going to tell you that my process out of losing my temper, it didn't even happen that day I went on that long walk and came home. In fact, I still, from time to time, will lose my cool, and I have to get on my knees and confess it. And I do believe this with all my heart. On some level, I will struggle with this or have a bent toward this for the rest of my life. On some level, I will have some struggle with this for the rest of my life. But I do believe that slowly I can walk further and further away from the occasions of sin. 
Hebrews 2.18. For in him, for in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he, God, is able to succor them that are tempted. That word succor is a fascinating word. I want you to write down on the bottom of your notes there what that word succor means. It means run to the aid of. It means fortify. It means strengthen. Hey, you're you're being stretched thin on a sin and you feel like you're about to fall through and give in or you feel like you've been surrounded by a, a temptation and, and you can't win and it's got you encircled. What do you do? You call God and like a superhero, He comes running to the rescue and He arrests the minions and He takes them away and God says, no more, you can have victory. Sometimes the best thing to do when you're facing a strong temptation is walk away and pray. Say, Lord, I'm about to give in to this. I'm right on the verge of falling in again to this sin. Lord, if you don't come along right now and secure me, fortify me, strengthen me, it's all but over. Because in my flesh, I can't do it! And God comes running in and He says, let me fortify you. Let me fortify you. This week I faced a very angry situation. This week I faced an opportunity to really lose my cool. I bowed my head and I said, Lord, I'm on the brink. I'm close. I need you to secure me. Because in my weakness I can't. And God came down and He stole those angry emotions away from me. And He gave me a calm and a peace. He gave me victory. Now, I don't know which one of those circles that were up there or some other circle that you're struggling with, but I can promise you this. You'll make those lifestyle changes, knowing that in your weakness, flesh weakness, you can't. You'll be accountable. then, And you'll pray for victory. You'll find that those opportunities to fall, those circles seem smaller and weaker, and you can break away and God can give you victory. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this evening. Lord, I pray the message tonight was a help to somebody.